0: Chapter Twenty-One of My Airships by Alberto Santos-Dumont. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Twenty-One. The first of the world's airship stations. Airship experimenters labor under one peculiar disadvantage quite apart from the proper difficulties of the problem it is due to the utter newness of travel in a third dimension and consists in the slowness with which our minds realize the necessity of providing for the diagonal mountings and descents of the airships starting from and returning to the ground when the Aero Club of Paris laid out its grounds at St. Cloud, it was with the sole idea of facilitating the vertical mounting of spherical balloons. Indeed, no provisions were made even for the landing of spherical balloons, because their captains never hoped to bring them back to the St. Cloud Balloon Park otherwise than by rail, packed in their boxes the spherical balloon lands where the wind takes it when i built my first airship house in the club's grounds at st cloud i dare say that the then novel advantages of possessing my own gas-plant workshop and a shelter in which the inflated dirigibles could be housed indefinitely withheld my attention from this other almost vital problem of surroundings. It was already a great progress for me not to be obliged to empty the balloon and waste its hydrogen at the end of each trip. Thus I was content to build simply an airship house with great sliding doors, without even taking precautions to guarantee a flat open space in front, and less still, on either side of it. When, little by little, trenches, something like a meter or yard deep, vague foundation outlines for constructions that were never finished, began appearing here and there to the right of my open doors and on beyond, I realized that my aides might risk falling into them in running to catch my guide rope when I should be returning from a trip. And when the gigantic skeleton of M. Henri Deutsch's airship-house, designed to shelter the airship he built on the lines of my Number 6 and called the La Ville de Paris, rose directly in front of my sliding doors, scarcely two airship-lengths distant from them, it dawned on me at last that here was something of a peril— and more than a simple inconvenience due to natural crowding in a club's grounds in spite of the new peril the deutsch prize was won returning from the eiffel tower i passed high above the skeleton i may say here however that the foundation trenches innocently caused the painful controversy about my time to which i have made a brief allusion in the chapter seeing that they might easily break their legs by stumbling into those foundation trenches i had positively forbidden my men to run across that space to catch my guide-rope with their eyes and arms up in the air not dreaming that such a point could be raised my men obeyed the injunction observing that i was quite master of my rudder motor and propeller able to turn and return to the spot where the judges stood they let me pass on over their heads without seeking to catch and run along with a guide rope a thing they might have done easily at the risk of their legs again at monaco after a well-planned airship-house had been erected in what seemed an ideal spot we have seen what dangers were nevertheless threatened by the seawall, the boulevard de la condamine with its poles wires and traffic and the final disaster due entirely to the absence of a weighing-ground beside the aerodrome these are dangers and inconveniences against which we come in time to be on our guard by actual and often dire experience during the spring and summer of nineteen o two i took trips to england and the united states of which i shall have a word to say later returning from those trips to paris i at once set about selecting the site of an aerodrome that should be all my own and in which the experience gained at such cost should be taken advantage of this time i resolved my airship house should have an ample space around it and succeeding in a way i realized if i may say it the first of the airship stations of the future after a long search i came on a fair-sized lot of vacant ground surrounded by a high stone wall inside the police jurisdiction of the Wadi de ballon but private property situated on the rue de l'enchamp in Louis saint-jean first i had to come to an understanding with its owner then i had to come to an understanding with the bois authorities who took time to give a building permit to such an unusual construction as a house from which airships would go and come the rue de l'enchamp is a narrow suburban street little built on at this end that gives on the Bagatelle gate to the Bois de Ballon, beside the training ground, of the same name. To go and come in my airships from this side is, however, inconvenient, because of the walls of the various properties, the trees that line the bois so thickly, and the great park-gates. To the right and left of my little property are other buildings. Behind me, across the Boulevard de la Seine, is the river itself, with the Ile du Pateau in it. It is from this side that I must go and come in my airships. Mounting diagonally in the air from my own open grounds, I pass over my wall, the Boulevard de la Seine, and turn when well above the river. Regularly, I turn to the left and make my way, in a great arc, to the bois by way of the training ground, itself a fairly open space. There it stands in its grounds, the first of the airship stations of the future, capable of housing seven airships, all inflated and prepared to navigate at an instant's notice. But, in spite of all the needs that I attempted to provide for in it, what a small and hampered place it is compared with the great, highly organized stations which the future must produce for itself, with their high-placed and spacious landing stages, to which airships will descend with complete safety and convenience, like great birds that seek nests on flat rocks such stations may have little car tracks running out from their interior to the wide landing spaces the cars that run over them will pull the airships in and out by their guide ropes without loss of time or the aid of a dozen or more men their observation towers will serve for judges' timing stations and aerial races. Fitted with wireless telegraph apparatus, they may be able to communicate with distant goals and, perhaps, even with the airships in motion. Attached to their airship stations, there will be gas-generating plants. There may be a casemented workshop for the testing of motors there will certainly be sleeping rooms for experimenters who desire to make an early start and profit by the calm of the dawn it is quite probable that there will also be balloon envelope workshops for repairs and changes a carpenter shop and a machine shop with intelligent and experienced workmen ready and able to seize an idea and execute it. Meanwhile, my airship station of the present is said to resemble a great square tent, striped red and white, set in the midst of a vacant lot surrounded by a high stone wall. Its tent-like appearance is due to the fact that, being in a hurry to utilize it, I saw no reason to construct its walls or roof of wood. The framework consists of long rows of parallel wooden pillars. Across their tops is stretched a canvas roof, and the four sides are made of the same striped canvas. This makes a construction stronger than it at first appears. The outside tent stuff weighing some 2,600 kilograms, or 5,720 pounds, and being sustained between the pillars by metallic cordage. Inside, the central stalls are 9.5 meters, or 31 feet wide, 50 meters, 165 feet long, and 13.5 meters. Or forty four and a half feet high, affording room for the largest dirigibles without permitting them to come into contact with each other. The great sliding doors are but a repetition of those of Monaco. When, in the spring of nineteen o three, I found my airship station completed, I had three new airships ready to house in it. They were my number seven. This I call my racing airship. It is designed and reserved for important competitions. The mere cost of filling it with hydrogen being more than three thousand francs or one hundred and twenty pounds. It is true that once filled. It may be kept inflated for a month at the expense of 50 francs or 2 pounds per day for hydrogen to replace what is lost by the daily play of condensation and dilation. Having a gas capacity of 1,257 cubic meters or nearly 45,000 cubic feet, it possesses twice the lifting power of my number 6, in which the Deutsch Prize was won and such is the necessary weight of its sixty-horsepower water-cooled four-cylinder motor and its proportionately strong machinery that i shall probably take up no more ballast in it than i took up in my number six comparing their sizes and lifting powers it would make five of my number nine the novel little runabout which i shall describe in the succeeding chapter. The third of the new airships is my number 10, which has been called the Omnibus. Its gas capacity of 2,010 cubic meters, nearly 80,000 cubic feet, makes its balloon greater in size and lifting power than even the racing number 7. And should I, indeed, DESIRE AT ANY TIME TO SHIFT TO IT THE LATTER'S KEEL, ALL FURNISHED WITH A RACING MOTOR AND MACHINERY, I MIGHT COMBINE A VERY SWIFT AIRCRAFT CAPABLE OF CARRYING MYSELF, SEVERAL AIDES, AND A LARGE SUPPLY OF BOTH PETROLEUM AND BALLAST. NOT TO SPEAK OF WAR MUNITIONS WERE THE SUDDEN NEED OF A belligerent CHARACTER. The prime purpose of my number ten, however, is well indicated in its name, the omnibus. Its keel, or rather keels, as I have fashioned them, are double. That is to say, hanging underneath its usual keel, in which my basket is situated, there is a passenger keel that holds three similar baskets and a smaller basket for my aid each passenger basket is large enough to contain four passengers and it is to carry such passengers that the omnibus has been constructed indeed after mature reflection it seemed to me that this must be the most practical and rapid way to popularize aerial navigation in my other airships i have shown that it is possible to mount and travel through the air on a prescribed course with no greater danger than one risks in any racing automobile in the omnibus i shall demonstrate to the world that there are very many men and women possessed of sufficient confidence in the aerial idea to mount with me as passengers in the first of the air omnibuses of the future end of chapter twenty one